Hi again, everyone. I'm Matt Laughlin alongside John McAlevey and Steve Titchener as we welcome you to this week's podcast on More Sports Now. Very pleased to have with us Chris Carino, the play-by-play voice for the Brooklyn Nets. He also does a variety of other things, but in this area, that's what he's known for. And Chris, thanks very much for giving us a few moments of your time as the season is underway. Matty, anything to talk to you. It's been a while. I know we worked together years ago with the Nets, but uh, glad we could be working together again. Uh, Me too. I'm very happy that you're with us today. And yes, my heart is always with the Nets. My heart was broken when they left New Jersey for Brooklyn, but it is uh, a team that's very near and dear to my heart. And yes, we did work together a long time ago, and those were fond days indeed. So what have you made about the start of the season? We'll get to the big injury the other day, but I know coming off the loss last night against Miami, overall, what's your outlook for what the team has been able to do? Well, you know, this is year three of the Sean Marks, Kenny Atkinson era, and I still think people have to be patient with this team because they were in such a hole three years ago. I mean, when when Sean Marks took over that team, you, you know, with no draft picks, you were in this. You were over the salary cap. You had a roster that was comprised of, I, I guess, I don't know. You want to say seventy percent? Three years later, won't even be in the league. And you were like, all right, you, you gave Sean Marks the keys and said, all right, do something with this. And I think a lot of people speculated it could be five years before the Nets would even be able to see a little light. And here we are in year three, and I think you can see the light right now. They, they are getting that far out of the hole. So I don't think they should get caught up in wins and losses this year. It's about developing young players, seeing who is a keeper going forward. And then, you know, going into next year, you have your own draft pick for the first time in five years. You have uh, plenty of salary cap space. So I think they really get on the clock in another year. Now, they got out to a pretty good start this year. I think 6-6 six and six was a really good way to start the year. I think people were really intrigued by the kind of player Karis LeVert can be. And then, you know, Karis goes down in that gruesome injury against Minnesota. Uh, that, that Instead of, you know, the chance of having a 3-1 and one road trip, you go 2-2. Two and two, They were a little flat last night. Now you're 6-9, and nine, but... I still think it's a season where you're not going to judge it on wins and losses. You're going to judge it on young players developing and setting yourself up for next year. They've really established a nice culture there. I think the rest of the league has taken notice that when you come to the Nets, um, not only do you have great management, a terrific coaching staff, an unbelievable facility, um, you have a group of amazing professionals in the medical staff and the training staff, that are going to prepare you and, and, and make you perform at an optimum level. It's really it's, it's becoming a model franchise from that standpoint. And I think that that's all being set up and conditioned for next year to make a run. 
I think the best words that you're getting out to Nets fans today, Chris, is that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And I think, as you said here, that begins with the right people in the right places. Sean Marks is doing his thing, and, and in the offseason we'll be able to do some more. But Kenny Atkinson, yeah. you know, the coach of the team, I'm going to throw a name at you from years ago. My old roommate from college, Marty Conlon, who played 11 years in the NBA, he loves Kenny Atkinson. And when he got that job with the Nets, he told me, look out, because because this guy is a grassroots guy who works with young players and give him some time and some some people to work with and he's going to do some good things in Brooklyn. Yeah, you know, Kenny had the reputation of being a player development guy. Maybe maybe the best player development assistant coach in the NBA. But a lot of people were hesitant to give him an opportunity to be a head coach because they said, "Well, how is that going to translate into being a head coach? How are you going to become a day-to-day manager of a staff of players when you're used to being that, you know, one-on-one, be, be personable with the guys, work them out. And Kenny has made that transition. What he's done is he has put together a staff and he has led from the top of all player development people. But at the same time, they're really good at X's and O's and figuring out, at figuring out a system. I mean, Jacques Vaughn has been a head coach in the league. Chris Fleming um, was, is an international head coach and a re- well-respected assistant coach. And guys like Adam Harrington and Brett Brillmeyer and Jordan Ott, they all work with these players. They bring in assistants who are able to play five-on-five. Five. I mean, you've got Pablo Prigioni who looks like he could still give you 10 minutes out there <laughs> running around playing with these guys. Kenny's out there on the floor playing with these guys. That's the kind of culture they've created. And Kenny is growing into an assist, uh, to, a, to a head coach. Was he perfect at it his first year? No. Right now, though, you could see he's getting better. His play calls out of timeouts, are they, they always seem to work. Um, he has a great way about him because he can relate to players, but at the same time, he can be hard on guys. I mean, I saw him coming off the floor the other night in Minnesota in the first half. Spencer Dinwiddie, I mean, Kenny went at him going to a timeout as he's walking to the bench where you thought Spencer wanted to crawl into a hole right there in the middle of the court. It, it, he, but he has that, that same ability then to put his arm around you, and guys love him. He's got a great demeanor. Um, he's done a fantastic job. It's unfortunate that in the development, the losses all add up and they count against your record because he probably doesn't deserve the record he's got right now. Mm. But I, I really do hope, and I, and I believe that it will, that it's a very similar situation to Brett Brown in Philadelphia, where Brett went through all the losing in the player development stage, and then when he finally got some horses and, and, his, and the team got good, they stuck with him and had confidence in him. And now we have to see where Brett Brown goes from there. But I think that's when you go on the clock. So I think Kenny deserves to be there. I think he's done a terrific job. I think Sean Marks believes in him. I think they will let him stay once it starts to get good. And then then he's on the clock like everybody else. Chris, let's talk about the unfortunate injury to Karis LeVert. Um, you know, talk about your initial reaction to it, the team's reaction, and then just what a blow it is to the organization. You know, he. We were watching this caterpillar transform into a butterfly. You know that that was. It was so exciting to see, because again, going back to where the Nets were three years ago, 
without their own first-round picks, Sean Marks had to go be creative. And he turned um, Thaddeus Young into a late first-round pick. He turned Boyan Bogdanovich into a late first-round pick. Thaddeus Young's pick becomes Karis LeVert, a guy who had gone through so much three-foot surgeries in college, didn't really play much in his senior year, uh, wasn't able to work out, wasn't going to be ready for the start of the NBA season. And the Nets still took a chance on him with the 20th pick, a pick that they didn't even have before the, before, at the end of the year. They had to go out and acquire. And they took a chance on a guy who wouldn't even be ready for the start of the season because they saw something in him. They, uh, Dr. Martin O'Malley, the hospital for special surgery, had done the surgery on Karras, the last surgery on him. And he's the Nets team doctor. He assured the Nets that it was going to be fine. They loved the, the person that Karras LeVert is. And they made that pick. And then all of a sudden to just see him get to where he is, we all knew he was going to make a jump from year two to year three. And, but, when you, when, but when you talk to everybody around the team about the summer and then in training camp, and you all said, all right, who's impressed you? To a man, from a coach to a staff member to a player, the number one name that come up, came up was always Karis LeVert. And you said, all right, well, let's see what happens in the season. And all of a sudden – he looks like an all-star. I mean, he, no one can stop him from getting where he wants to go in the paint. He's got that length to defend, that athleticism. And, by the way, he's one of the, the, the nicest, kindest, personable athletes I've ever been around in in all my years and over two decades with the Nets. So all that adds up to you're excited. All right, we have the cornerstone piece now that we found with the 20th pick and we're able to accelerate the rebuild here because we've got guys like him and a guy like Jared Allen. And then all of a sudden to see his foot at a crooked angle. And that was ugly. To his leg on the floor. Yeah. It was just it was injury, devastating. Yeah. Mm. I mean, it was just devastating. And then you, you sit with that and you let that marinate mm. for, you know, a night and into a morning. And then... Dr. O'Malley tells you it's not really as bad as it looked. It's dislocated, but he can be back this year. I mean, it was such a, That's stunning. a whirlwind of emotions over a less than a 24-hour period. Yeah, but he won't be around for a while. So who picks up the pieces, if you will? Um, is it is it going to be somewhat by committee? Everyone has to do a little bit of what he did. and I mean, because it it's a huge blow. Yes, and, and you got to remember, too, I mean, Karras was still, as much as we say he was playing at a high level, I mean, there were still nights where it was a struggle. He's still a developing player. He wasn't an all-star yet. You know, he's still a developing guy. So this isn't like um, an all-NBA player went down. I mean, you have – they were still going to rely on a number of other players to play well. But he is a guy that's very – they don't have, uh, you know – you had that that replacement part. A lot of guys have a replacement player that can kind of sim- do similar things. It's it's hard to find the guy that'll do exactly that. This is an opportunity though for a guy like Shabazz Napier because the, you know he's he's pl- he's played at a really high level. Even last night in the fourth quarter, he was the one guy that tried to make a little comeback at eleven in the fourth quarter. He's going to get an opportunity now to play more. They need more out of Allen Crabb. I mean, Alan Crabb is a $19 million player that they made a trade for. Um, 
they set the bar for him by offering him a restricted free agent contract in Portland. Portland matched it, and then they made a trade for him to get him back. They, they got the guy they wanted at the price that they set, and he has not played up to that level. And this year he's really struggled. And they thought, all right, well, maybe we'll get him in the starting lineup. I know he had, a, he had an injury in the preseason and didn't get into the starting lineup. And I know that kind of threw him off, and he hasn't been happy about that. He got a chance to start last night because Karras is out, and he didn't make shots. Now, he's still defending, so Kenny keeps him in the rotation. But that's a guy that needs to, to step up. So I think the two guys immediately that will get an opportunity here are Napier and Crabb, and they've got to make the most of it. How about D'Angelo Russell now? He's had a little bit of uh, an opportunity uh, to play under the same coach now for a couple of years. I know he's bounced around from coach to coach. Uh, he hasn't had that real stability over his career. Uh, the number two pick in the draft, and you know, you're reading things like he's just now, um, you, you know, getting getting down to defending and to acting, you know, more of a uh, of a professional player on the floor. What more do the Nets need to see from him? Because it's obvious he can put the ball in the basket, but to take advantage of his athleticism and, and to work on both ends of the floor, I know that's something that they need more from him. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's the first time since uh, his high school days that he's had a coach for for more than one year. I mean, remember, he only went to Ohio State for a year. Then his time in L.A., there was a different coach each year. Then he comes to Brooklyn, and he's got Kenny Atkinson to work with him. You know, I, he, there, there was an image of D'Angelo Russell before he came to the Nets that I think was a little inaccurate, because of, all because of that incident where he was caught recording one of his you know, teammates uh, talking to another girl at a club, and and people were up in arms saying that his teammate he was going to be a pariah. Um, I have to remember. I mean, he was I don't he wasn't even twenty years old when he came into the league. Maybe um, he's in his fourth year now. Uh, these guys, we forget how young these guys are sometimes, and they mm-hmm. make mistakes. Uh, but he's been nothing but a pro and a hard worker since he's come to the Nets. Uh, the thing you have to, he's got to work on, and they've tried to a little bit, is he's a good playmaker. Can he be a playmaker without turning the ball over? He's really gotten better this year at not turning the ball over, of making good decisions. Um, we saw him hit nine threes in the game against Minnesota the other day. Uh, everybody in this system can be a three-point shooter. You're given the opportunity. If you can make them, you're going to look a lot better. Uh, he's, a, he's got great vision. His decision-making, I think he's growing with this team, and he's looked pretty good this year. Now, he'll be hurt by not having Karis LeVert next to him because Karis is another guy that can break down the defense and can pick up for some of D'Angelo's deficiencies defensively. Yes, he's got to get better. He's got to fight through screens better, stay attached to guys a little bit more. Um, I kind of have a rule that – by you know, year five is kind of who you are in the NBA, right? Mm-hmm. And D'Angelo will be going into year five next year, and he's looking for a new contract and be a restricted free agent at the end of the year. Um, this is kind of a pivotal year for him because I think you're going to say if he remains at the player he is now, you know, he'll he'll be he's an NBA player and he'll do fine. Is he that franchise building guy? Is he that number two huge pick? money? free agent guy, number two pick a couple years ago. I I don't know if he's getting to that level, but I think he's got about four months to show if he is, if he can be at that level. 
Chris, because we cover that other team, can you give us a couple words on the Knicks and what you see from uh, uh, Coach Fisdale and how the job he's doing? Well, we saw the Knicks a few times in preseason, and we've seen them a couple of times in the regular season. Uh, Karis LeVert actually beat them in the final seconds in one game, and then the Nets got blown out at the Garden by the Knicks. Kind of a tough they, – they were the Nets are playing the third and four nights. It was – they didn't look as energetic as they normally do. So I've gotten to see, you know, a, a few a, a few of their games in person. Um, I'm impressed with how hard they play with David Fisdale. I think they've got some young talent that can be better, and I like the, the tack they've taken with letting the young players play. Uh, and the thing that separates them from some of these other rebuilding teams, they're not really good this year. They've got an all-NBA player on their bench right now, Kristaps Porzingis, and I think that's what – you're going to add him. They're going to get a good draft pick this year. They're going to add Porzingis to the mix. They're probably will add a free agent or two. I mean, I, I think they're in pretty good shape, uh, all in all. I think, it, I think again, if you've got a young players developing and that play hard, and then you're going to add all these other pieces, you know, I think it can be pretty good there. Well, that's down the road for them. This is clearly rebuilding. So let's be honest. Cavaliers stink. <laughs> the Hawks stink. Yeah. The Knicks are not going to be any good. The Bulls are not very good. So eliminate them from playoff possibilities. I think it's it's early and anything can happen, but I think it's clear that those teams are the bottom feeders. So the Nets are in the battle. Toronto, Boston, even though they've gotten off to a bit of a slow start. Philadelphia, I'm not sure what they are, but adding Jimmy Butler certainly makes them even better or potentially a, a real star laden team. Anyway, where do the Nets fit in? Nets going to make the playoffs? Huh, well, again, I, I don't know. I think there's twofold there. If they make the playoffs, that means that their young players are really developing and accelerating the rebuild process here. And if that happens, great. They get a taste of the playoffs and they can be good for the organization. Um, if they don't, and they get into the lottery, and they get a better draft pick. They finally have their first pick yeah. for the first time since the Pearson-Garnett deal. Um, that wouldn't be a terrible thing either for the organization. Uh, so, you know, you, there's, there's... And realistically, so many... it's probably the best thing to happen. And given patience has been shown, just keep it going for a little longer. Yeah, well, I mean, if they're going to have the 15th pick, then maybe it's not that great. You'd rather make the playoffs. Um but again, you name all those teams, but I can tell you, well, what about the, you know, Atlanta has won a few games this year. Chicago has got a lot of good young players. The, the, you know, the, where do you put Charlotte in? In Miami, you beat the Nets last night. Like, it could be a couple of teams can make the playoffs just out of, you know, sheer, somebody's got to make the playoffs. Yeah, you know, like, <laughs> I don't even know if there's eight real legitimate that you could say are automatic playoff teams in the Eastern Conference. So some of those teams are going to sneak in. So, you know, I almost, again, it's, whatever happens, I think the Nets are in, a, are in a, a good position in terms of where they were a short period of time ago. Ed, Chris, I'll leave you with this one. Uh, back to the Nets. Spencer Dinwiddie is someone I just love to watch. Not only does he have you know a love of the game that you can see it on his face all the time, but he's got a flair for the dramatic as well. He hits big shots. And another thing that I just uh, I did not know about him, but I read up on, is the fact that he's a uh, a burgeoning sneaker. Uh, a sneaker guy, and I saw the other night he had uh, a Stan Lee-inspired pair of sneakers that he had on the other day. First of all, did he give you a pair, 
And if not, when is, when will yours be showing up at the house? Well, you know what? He actually auctions those shoes off to raise money for his foundation. So um, he is able to make his own shoe. He has an artist. Uh, the guy's name is Kick Casso. <laughs> like like Picasso nice. only with Kit Casso, and he designs. Yeah, yeah, he had a he had a uh, purple shoe with Prince's logo on it the other day for uh, in Minnesota. So he's going to come up with a different shoe each night, and but he all he auctions those things off for charity, and I and I believe it. Uh, he has a, a foundation that has uh, scholarships for underprivileged kids. So, you know, he's a really intelligent guy, Spencer. Um, uh, very, you know, thinks about the future and all these things and. He might be the most athletic and explosive player uh, athlete on the team. Yeah, he can play. Uh, I mean, I love to watch yeah, him play. He, and he's going to, you know, a second-round pick, who, again, the Nets have helped develop, and he's he's going to be a free agent at the end of the year, and, and he he will he is in line to uh, to do pretty well. We are working, though. I think we're going to try and get him to do the Chris Carino Foundation shoe, which uh, and help maybe raise some money for our foundation. So maybe look for that. Well, that, uh, that would certainly be a, a great story. And, you know, we could go on and talk about it. But, Chris, you know, we know you have your foundation having been diagnosed with FSHD, which is a, a form of muscular dystrophy. You work through it. You're raising funds to f- try to find a, a cure and make it better for those who have been diagnosed with it. We could spend another 40 minutes talking about that and talk about <laughs> Kevin Durant right. and what's going on with Golden State and what's going on with the Lakers, with LeBron and on and on. But we know time runs short. We know you're headed on the road again. We do appreciate your time. We will have you back. We'll talk about your foundation, and we'll check in on C and see where the Nets are at that stage of the season. Great, guys. I really appreciate it. Nice talking to you. Thanks, right, Chris. Chris. Thank you, Chris. Thank you very much. Uh, and his partner, uh, Tim Capstraw, is, is fun to listen to with Chris on the radio as well. Chris, thanks very much again. Thank you, Maddie. So I wish we had more time with Chris to talk about uh, his foundation because yeah. uh, he has been uh, affected by this disease. I it was makes reading it, about that. Yeah, yeah, it makes it difficult for him to walk. Um, Tim Capstra does a great job helping him uh, get to his broadcast location, et cetera. Chris never lets it get him down. Uh, He's got a great energy on air oh, you know, with us. Yeah, and, and they're they are they they're, they're a great pair. Mm-hmm. If you haven't listened to a Nets game. I like game, Capstra. It's, uh, it's, it's a fun listen because mm-hmm. Timmy's a great guy, mm-hmm. you know, and Chris is terrific too. So, But the Nets, I mean, look, they're still, um, you know, they're losing uh, – Losing Levert was was is a rough one, and and uh, you know I mean it's an outside chance of making the playoffs. I mean when you asked him, he you know had a long pause there, but uh, well that's think, the reality. You know, but local I think what hoops, he was, New York hoops are just. Well, I think know, what he was saying that was progress. after you get through the top four teams in the East, and three of them are in the Atlantic, right? I mean mm-hmm. it's uh, Toronto, Boston, and Philly. Then throw in Milwaukee. Um, those four teams in the East uh, are guaranteed barring major unforeseen circumstances, they will be in the playoffs. And then it really does come down. I mean, Indiana, mm. uh, you know, Charlotte, Charlotte. He mentioned, uh, you know, uh, Miami, Washington, yeah, I, throw them in the mix. You know, I mean, these teams, nothing stands out about yeah. them there. So, you know, but but his point is well taken. Someone's got to make the money. Well, somebody's got to make it. And by the way, ownership loves it because it's big money going into their pockets, even though it might be a one and done. Sure. But might it be better in the long term if they drift down with the injury to Levert and 
wind mm-hmm. up having a better better draft, draft picture. Visit, you know, because mm-hmm. he said though, if if that winds up being like number fifteen, I mean, is that, is that really yeah, yeah. right? So that like whereas you look at the Knicks and uh, you know the season the off season of their dreams would turn into maybe Zion Williamson and uh, could you imagine and Kevin Durant? Could How you, about that? Right? Could you yeah. imagine that combination? Um, have you seen Zion Williamson? Oh my. Goodness! Well, what a those, beast! Those, those Duke games are. I mean, it's almost folly. I mean, it's it's not even <laughs> it's worth watching. They annihilate people. Oh, and Coach he, and he's, a, he's a one man show. He, I mean, but he's got four other guys that are that yeah. RJ Barrett. He could be the number one pick. He's a freak. Oh, William! Oh, Zion's got to be the number one uh, pick. He's unbelievable. I mean, he can do, guy I mean, Barrett, got, watch Barrett play. Oh, I'm not denying that he has talent, but I, I just think that. Zion brings so much. I mean, he's got vision. He can handle the ball, shoot outside, go inside, athletic as can be. I mean, you you, you might be right. They're, yeah, but they're, hoping for a, a high draft pick just makes for a, a long season again in New York, and, and certainly with the Knicks as well. Hey, listen. Um, but that's what they signed up yeah, for. I mean, that's what yeah, a Knicks fan understood. now has signed up for. Now, be, and now they can't screw it up. Especially not on the floor. Oh, of course. It's just, it's and there's not no happening. reason to rush him back yeah. now. I mean, no. they're going down the no. you-know-what. There's no the reason. They got some good young pieces, though. This Alonzo Trier's a nice player. Yeah. Uh, the big guy in the middle, I, I like him. Mitchell Robinson. I mean, he was By the way, when guy. is Porzingis coming back? What's well, the that's t- the $64,000 know, question. Second half exactly. of the season? Oh, no. It looks like he'll be back sooner than okay. that. Yeah. But at this point, what are you going to rush him back for? I mean, they're just awful. I agree. I mean, what's the point? They're Especially really the, and the later it gets, why bother? Can I tell you though? I really like David Fisdale. Mm, I like everything too. I've seen about him. His press conferences are great. Hey, listen, if a guy's not doing his job, he'll throw him under the bus right. and he'll call him out by name. He'll say we stink or we didn't. Some of these guys like to sugarcoat it and well, you know, it's a back to back or a, a night, mm-hmm. you know, a night day after another game. And he's very uh, candid, and I love everything about him. So well, he's far. got he handles you know, the media well. Though. He's got to, he's got to establish that culture, right? He's got yeah. he's got to let. Not only the team now, but anyone that they're going to have in the future know that this is the way we do things. We're not going to mm-hmm. let things slide. The The only wild card in that whole situation is James Dolan, the owner. <laughs> and he has committed to this, right? He has committed to, to this. Um, mm-hmm. The team's management has committed to this, right? As long as they stay the course, they'll be okay. The problem is if Porzingis comes back, and they go on a little bit of a run. Do they sacrifice the future for the present, which would be silly? If they continue to slide, do they sacrifice the future just to make it look good that we're really trying this year? I think mm-hmm. they have to stay the course. They have to uh, absolutely stay the course. There's a, there's enough really, really good kids that are going to come out in the top maybe four or five of this draft. The Knicks have to have one of those picks. Yeah. They have to be yeah. there. At this point, they've been so mediocre to bad for so long. Just at this point, take it down to the wood. I wouldn't rush Porzingis back. I mean, I would hold him out for much of the year. I mean, there's no reason to... When you could get a lottery pick like one of those kids, Barrett or Williamson or some of these other guys, you got to take that chance. Yeah. But but he'll want to play at some point. Now, you of can, course you can push play. his return back a couple of weeks, just yeah. say he needs more work. But at some point... He is going to be ready to come back, and you can't keep him in a red suit on the bench or <laughs> yeah. any of the other creations that he wears. You can't do that, no. right? You just can't. So no. uh, he'll be back. Meantime, you can get Knicks tickets. They're available. They <laughs> Remember the time when you couldn't get in the building? Yeah. There was a time. And yeah. Yeah, listen, the, the New York loves basketball. It's a basketball town. They love their Knicks. It's just been a rough go. Right? Well, what it also yeah. it, what it also is is it's obviously it's a de- destination city. So they get a ton of people that 
that those sellouts were not all yeah. New York people. Mm -hmm. They were a lot of out of towners. Sure. So mm -hmm. um, most of it's corporate, isn't it? At this point, I don't know. Most of it is. I think a fair amount, but yeah. I don't know if it's you know most. Maybe the lower bowls, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. But I, I still think they got the everyday fan. But at any rate, you can get tickets now. So it just, any, it'll just cost you an arm and a leg. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe both legs. And that's a factor too, right? Uh, it's, oh. it's an expensive proposition to go to sporting events, so you better put a winner on the court yeah. or the ice or whatever. So that'll wrap things up. Chris Carino was our guest this week. Uh, we appreciate him giving us a few minutes of his time as we wrap things up for Steve Titchener and John McAlevey. I'm Matt Lachlan. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.